Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 153, The Bundler of Bundles. Hi, I'm Neil. Last episode, we talked about what I think is the next paradigm shift in computing, wearables. In today's episode, we're going to focus on an industry that I think is a complete mess. <laughs> there is chaos everywhere. And I think that's what makes it so fascinating. It's so interesting to cover. And it's an industry that Apple is running into. We're talking about paid video streaming. Now, we've talked about this space in the past, maybe a little bit indirectly. We've talked about Netflix. We've also talked about why Apple is getting into original video content. In today's episode, I want to sort of put all of that together. We're going to look at the broader strategy behind Apple TV+. And what ultimately is Apple's strategy for being a distributor of third-party video bundles. And that's going to bring us to what I see unfolding in the paid video streaming space. There are five issues, five issues I don't think a lot of people are talking about, that stand to actually be taken advantage of by Apple. The best place to begin today's episode is to actually look at the big picture. So maybe don't just look at video, but look at content distribution. Apple has been in the business of distributing content to users for decades. However, last year, there were signs that 2019 was going to be the year in which Apple would reinvigorate its content distribution arm. Now, this is something that Apple's been working on for years. We can look at Apple TV Plus and Apple's plans for developing original shows. There was M&A associated with Apple becoming a written content distributor in terms of Apple News Plus. Apple working with game developers with Apple Arcade. And then, of course, Apple Music. That's something that Apple's been working on for years. Another factor that positions 2019 as the year of focusing on content distribution is we find ourselves somewhat in the middle of major product categories. We have Apple Watch, we have wireless AirPods, but it's not quite time for the next major product category, and that is likely smart glasses. So we're in the middle, and I think it's a great time for Apple to focus on content distribution. There are a few things, a few major themes found with this reinvigoration of the content distribution arm. We see Apple moving forward with subscriptions, and that is largely to reflect what is taking place in the broader industry. But Apple is also looking to push certain ideals forward, such as privacy, something that really has not been a talking point at all when it comes to content distribution. And we're going to talk about privacy more later on. Another ideal that Apple is pushing is curation. Now, at first, that doesn't really seem like on the same plane as privacy. But when you think about what is taking place with news distribution, we see all the problems with Facebook, even Google with YouTube. Curation, or just the process of putting content in front of users, is extremely important. Apple has been unveiling a revised content distribution arm that provides users access to human-curated collections of media and entertainment. This content will be provided by both Apple, such as original video, and third parties. We can look at news. 
music, games, and there's plenty of video content as well from third parties. And if you go through this list, again, there's four main buckets here. Apple News Plus, that's human editors curating stories from hundreds of paid magazines. Apple Music, human tastemakers creating playlists consisting of songs. There's Apple Arcade, that's a collection of games that have been curated by human editors. And then Apple TV Plus, human producers creating a curated portfolio of visual stories. So that's the big picture. That's how Apple TV Plus fits into this broader content distribution arm. When we turn to Apple TV Plus itself, this is a service that Apple unveiled back in March. Since then, Apple has remained secretive and cagey about details, but we have gotten a few very important clues when it comes to some of the key attributes of this service. Apple TV Plus will be a paid service. Apple TV Plus will have a limited amount of content at launch. And Apple TV Plus will have a free trial. I think each one of those are essential for assessing the broader strategy with this service. We'll go over each very briefly here. When it comes to Apple TV being a paid service, the language Apple used at that March event implied that Apple TV Plus would be tied to a subscription. My first reaction was, Okay, something that requires a subscription probably isn't free. However, there was still some unknown, and I think that led to the debate at the time between is this going to be free or paid? Well, I think all of that mystery went away last month during Apple's third quarter 2019 earnings conference call. We had CFO Luca Maestri giving another major clue that Apple TV Plus would be a paid service. He mentioned that... Apple TV Plus will boost Apple services revenue. The thing is, Apple had previously said Apple TV Plus would be ad-free. So the only way Apple TV Plus is going to boost services revenue is through paid subscriptions. When it comes to Apple TV Plus having a limited amount of content at launch, we could have confidence in that because there's no back catalog. If Apple obtained rights to an expensive back catalog of content, there likely would have been a bidding war. There would have been plenty of leaks to the press. So instead, we have Apple TV Plus launching with what will be a limited number of shows. The exact number still isn't known. Apple highlighted five shows at that March event. And if you look through the list of everything that's been reported, there's about 30 or so projects, so a pretty decent number. But those will be released over the coming year or two. That's not going to be at launch. My expectation is you're probably going to have six, maybe seven or eight shows ready to go at launch or within the first few weeks of launch. The third item, there will be a free trial for Apple TV+. This, again, was mentioned on Apple's most recent earnings call. When I heard that news, my reaction is this is going to be a paid service because you don't offer a free trial for something that is free. However, having a free trial may actually be more helpful when thinking about how Apple plans on releasing new show episodes and series going forward. 
Now, they've previously said that new series will be released on a monthly basis. So that gives a little bit more credibility to this idea of you're going to have a certain number of shows at launch. And then as each month goes on, Apple will say, okay, here's this show, that show, basically what other paid video streaming bundles do. That's not exactly revolutionary. However, given a free trial and the fact that there's not a lot of content available at launch, that would seem to suggest it's not that Apple's going to make entire seasons available at once. Instead, there's going to be some kind of weekly release schedule for new shows. And that would be different than what a lot of people have been used to with Netflix. It'd be more like what HBO does. Assessing the broader reactions that have been out there regarding Apple TV Plus from analysts, pundits, writers, it hasn't been positive. There's been a lot of skepticism. A lot of it goes all the way back to March. It goes beyond that, but it really goes back to March because people did not like the way Apple unveiled Apple TV+. We didn't get a lot of detail. We didn't get official trailers. Instead, it was all about the stars. It was about Apple saying, we are able to get Hollywood stars just like any other content company. It was kind of a way of Apple saying, take us seriously. However, for some people, if Apple really wanted to be taken seriously, they should have shared more details. They should have done what Disney did when unveiling Disney+. That event was filled with information. In my view, there is a big difference between the two. Disney had to appeal. They had to make the sales pitch to Wall Street. They had to explain what they're going to do to go up against Netflix, because that was a key part of their business. Apple didn't have that kind of pressure. That March event was not meant towards Wall Street. It was not meant saying, oh, here's how we're going to go up against Netflix. Here's how we're going to go up against HBO and Disney. That event was more or less, here is what we're doing on the services front. We have this wide range of services, everything from Apple Card, to news, to gaming, and we're going to do video. Fast forward a few months, and even though we have some details about Apple TV+, we now see official trailers, I don't think the skepticism levels have actually declined. If anything, they've probably increased. Some people are still very uneasy with this idea of Apple making their own video content. But I think the thing of Apple TV+, that some people just can't get past, is... Apple looking to charge for a limited amount of content. It just doesn't seem to fit with what we're used to in the paid video streaming space. And I think this leads to something that I've been seeing and hearing a lot of recently, which I just don't understand. There's this criticism that... There are now too many paid video bundles for consumers. You see people writing stories. Oh, I'm experiencing subscription fatigue. I can't keep up with the bundles and there's just more and more coming. This is a classic example of the grass is greener on the other side. For years, the dream was for consumers to access their favorite TV channels a la carte. That's what's happening. It's becoming a reality. Just not quite in the way we expect it. 
You can sign up for individual channels. But in 2019, those channels, they're large bundles of video content fueled by content budgets in the billions of dollars per year. The other thing is when you look at the number of quote-unquote channels that are available for the masses, there really aren't that many. (laughs) We're talking about probably, what, 6 to 12 major video bundles that are going to appeal to the masses. And if you add some of the smaller channels, I still don't think the number is that large. Nevertheless, a lot of people think that there is this subscription fatigue, and that's going to make it difficult for Apple TV Plus to find a seat at the paid streaming table. So it's clear that the skepticism is there when it comes to Apple TV Plus. At this point, I want to talk about the strategy behind Apple TV Plus. What is Apple actually trying to do here? Consensus thinks that if it wants to have a chance of Apple TV Plus competing, Apple needs to dramatically increase its video content budget while keeping subscription pricing artificially low. The problem with that thinking is that Apple TV Plus isn't like other paid video bundles. Apple's looking to fight a different battle. Now, when it comes to content budgets, my estimate is Apple's spending about $2 billion per year on content. I know the Financial Times was out recently saying Apple had committed $6 billion to content And some people looked at that as an annual figure. I don't think that's the case. I think the annual budget is much lower than $6 billion. Instead of competing in a content arms race or grabbing as much user attention as possible, both battles are going to be brutal. Apple will look to position Apple TV Plus as a way to strengthen its broader video distribution platform. Apple TV Plus is positioned as an exclusive curated feed of content only available in the Apple TV app. Similar to how Apple Card is leading users to become familiar with the wallet app, Apple TV Plus is a way to push the Apple TV app forward. One thing that I've seen is that a lot of people are a little bit unsure as to the difference between all of these things. You have Apple TV Plus, the Apple TV app, and then you have Apple TV. Real quickly, the actual box that connects to televisions, that's Apple TV. The way I think of the product is it's a device targeting Apple users who want to turn their televisions into a genuine iOS accessory. It's really targeting for people who want that premium experience. You then have the Apple TV app. And that is available on Apple TV boxes, but it's also available on iPhones, iPads, Macs. It's available on third-party hardware, including smart TVs, streaming sticks and boxes from other companies. And then within the Apple TV app, you are going to have an exclusive curated feed of content that you're going to have to pay for, and that is Apple TV+. Plus. So the sales pitch for Apple TV+, Plus is that instead of paying to access a lot of mediocre video content that won't be watched, for roughly the same price each month, you can access a handful of exclusive compelling stories that the entire family can watch together. That is the sales pitch 
from Apple. We will see if that's the case. You have to wait to see what the content actually is. It's impossible to judge without watching the actual shows. Apple's thinking here is that some of these Apple TV shows are going to be home runs. People are going to want to watch them. That's going to drive people into the Apple TV app because that's where Apple TV Plus lives. And once in the app, they'll spend some time there. And they'll see what Apple has built. And that is that the Apple TV app is a depository for a user's video consumption. In addition, Apple recently launched channels within the app. So you can actually sign up for things like HBO directly within the app. I have found that my Apple TV app usage is increasing as time goes on. And especially with channels and the deep integration with the Apple TV app, where if you're watching HBO content, when you're done, you don't find yourself in the HBO app. You remain in the Apple TV app. I like that. And I think the broader idea here is the right one. I especially like the concept of you have a lot of these video bundles, and what Apple can do is pull shows out of those bundles. Because in some ways, that's really what we want. If you sign up for three or four bundles, you probably have certain shows out of those three or four bundles that you really enjoy. The Apple TV app is able to take those shows and display them in an easy-to-view format. Now, again, some of this is in theory because not everyone wants to play with the Apple TV app. If you have a Netflix subscription, you don't see that deep integration. And we are going to talk about that in much more detail very shortly. Another limitation would be seen with the lack of YouTube integration. So in a way, the Apple TV app is more or less for paid video content. Whereas we're probably going to continue using YouTube for free ad-based video content. All of this raises a question. How is Apple going to measure success? Is it based on the number of people that sign up for Apple TV Plus? Or maybe the amount of time people spend watching Apple TV Plus content? Is it the number of third-party subscriptions that are sold through the Apple TV app? In my view, success is going to be measured by the number of users turning to the Apple TV app for video consumption. Is the Apple TV app leading to a change in user behavior? If the answer is yes, I think Apple wins. This brings us to competition. Who is Apple actually competing against here? A lot of people are putting this as Apple TV Plus versus Disney Plus, or Apple TV Plus versus Netflix. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. Sure, at a certain degree, all of these bundles are in one way or another competing against each other. If you are putting forth visual storytelling, you are in one way or another trying to compete for people's attention. The thing is, Apple can win even if people are consuming content from HBO, Disney+. Plus. Hulu. As long as people are using the Apple TV app to consume that content or they're going through iTunes to pay for those subscriptions, Apple wins. And if we want to add even more complexity to this discussion involving competition, I don't even think Roku is a competitor in the sense that the Apple TV app is going to be available on the Roku platform. 
At this point in the discussion, we turn to Netflix. As I mentioned a little while ago, Netflix chose not to have deep integration with the Apple TV app. While you can search for Netflix content, in my opinion, it's the deep integration that's the key. And it's missing. And I think it's a legitimate headwind to what Apple is trying to do in the video space. There's no question about that. The leader in paid video streaming has no interest in playing ball when it comes to the Apple TV app. Why? Netflix wants users to spend time on its own platform, not Apple's. And to be completely honest, up to now, I think that's a logical choice made by Netflix. If you're managing Netflix, you probably would do the same thing. However, if we go back to how I began today's discussion, I said that the paid video streaming industry is a mess. Recent developments in the space are beginning to raise the question of whether or not the decision to bypass the Apple TV app was the best business decision. We can use Netflix as an example to demonstrate what I'm talking about. There are five fundamental issues plaguing the paid video streaming market, and each one stands to be taken advantage of by Apple. We could probably dedicate an entire episode to each one of these issues. We're not going to obviously do that, so I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. The first issue, subscription pricing is subsidized. Most companies are subsidizing paid bundle pricing in an effort to grab as many users and their data as possible. When we look at Netflix, given the amount of money that the company is spending on content, I think a Netflix subscription in the U.S. should probably be more like $20 per month, not $13. We could look at Disney. They could have easily priced Disney Plus at $15 to $20 per month. Not $7. This dynamic ends up helping new players like Apple. Because the odds are good that consumers will subscribe to a few inexpensive bundles instead of one large expensive bundle. For consumers, this subsidized pricing is a great thing in the near term. It's like we're experiencing a paid video renaissance. You're getting access to a lot of great content for very little money. I still subscribe to the big, large cable bundle. Based on my most recent bill, I think I'm paying somewhere around $90 per month once you include all of these fees, taxes, surcharges, rental charges. I could sign up for Netflix, Disney+, HBO, Apple TV+. I could sign up for every single one of these paid video bundles targeting the mass market and still have cash left over versus how much I'm paying for the large cable bundle. So in the near term, it's good for consumers. I think it's a mess for the actual companies. It's going to produce an incredible amount of competition. There's going to be churn, and you're going to hear that word quite a bit over the next couple minutes. And I think over time, you're going to see pressure for some of these companies to raise pricing. And so that could be a negative for consumers. 
The second issue that is plaguing the paid video streaming market, user growth is prioritized too much. Companies are making questionable product and business strategy decisions in an effort to grow as quickly as possible. This may be a little bit controversial. I'm not sure. I think it's time to start wondering if binge watching has actually been a positive development in the video space. For those of you who aren't familiar with the term binge watching, it simply means that you sit down in front of a television or you're on your phone and you're watching a lot of content nonstop. And this is because of the way Netflix primarily launches new shows, new seasons. So instead of having a new episode every week, they launch an entire season all at once. And so you can sit down and basically watch hour after hour after hour of content. And you could watch an entire season one night. Now, it's not just Netflix. You could do the same thing on HBO. You can go back and watch an entire season of a show. So in a way, while Netflix has definitely pushed it forward, it's a trend that we've seen in paid video streaming in the sense of on demand. The reason that I'm starting to question or doubt binge watching is that it's a tactic used by these companies to grab our attention and keep it as long as possible. It's aimed at hooking people onto platforms to the point where you're losing sleep. You're running late to school or work. Now, some people will say binge watching is a positive because, again, on demand. You can watch what you want to watch. You don't have to wait every single week for a new episode. I think there's downsides here, though. I find myself losing interest in an increasing number of series because there's too much time that passes between seasons. You get everything thrown at you at once. You then have to wait more than a year, sometimes two years for the next season. Compare this to something like The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones. You have new episodes that come out every week. That leads to more of a sustained buzz factor. People talk about the show for longer. When you look at Netflix, especially maybe something like Stranger Things, this latest season, season three, it didn't create as much buzz as season two. I thought it was noticeable, especially on Twitter and social media. It just, it did not grab the same amount of attention that season two did. Why? I think there was so much time that passed between seasons. I think people kind of moved on to other shows. It would not be surprising to see Netflix move away from releasing entire seasons at once. There are examples where Netflix does follow more of an HBO model where they release new episodes each week. Why would Netflix make that decision? It would be a way of reducing churn. A way of trying to reduce this trend of people signing up, consuming an entire season, and then moving elsewhere. The thing is, the more that bundles embrace weekly release schedules for new shows, the more a central location, such as the Apple TV app, makes sense. Because I think consumers are going to want a central place where shows from all these various bundles will appear when they are available. 
that beats having to go through all these different apps every month. The third issue impacting the paid video streaming market. Mediocre content is becoming a problem. There is a finite amount of time each day. And we see that companies are desperate to fill as much of it as possible with video content. This battle for our time will lead to paid video bundles becoming bloated with mediocrity. This will result in users wanting more curating and filtering to focus on just the premium content. This is another tailwind for relying on something like the Apple TV app. The next issue, data capture is a ticking time bomb. The degree to which video streaming companies are collecting viewer data has not received the attention it deserves. I think it's interesting how data capture has actually been positioned as a benefit, as a good thing, because it's said to lead to better content recommendations. I'm rolling my eyes right now. (laughs) Anyone who's spent a significant amount of time on Netflix will know just how useful some of these recommendations are. I think we can take that and go even further to say that the failure found with smart recommendations represents a major hole in the claim that data collection is even needed in the first place. Look at Apple's data privacy stance. It's a key selling point for Apple TV+. In fact, it's a key selling point for Apple's entire revised content distribution arm. I think that selling point is being underestimated. The fifth issue, value propositions are lacking. Not enough is being done to truly set paid video bundles apart from the competition. I think the end result is that churn will become a notable problem in the industry because you're going to see consumers hop from bundle to bundle depending on which new shows are available and when. This is another reason why I think spreading out new series may become a trend. If you do see this hopping from bundle to bundle, this churn, I do think it will lead many to crave a central location or depository for the newest shows. Again, that's a way of describing the Apple TV app. If we take these five issues and put them together, I think one observation or conclusion is that the paid video streaming industry isn't settled. It's evolving. I think claims that Netflix won this space, those claims were made, what, a year or two ago? I think those claims are premature. And this whole thing is so fascinating because you have competition that is only going to intensify as we move into 2020. In my view, Apple's strategy here is making more sense. When you look at Apple TV+, Plus how it's positioned as a way of promoting the Apple TV app and how the Apple TV app is sort of meant to be this central location for various bundles. That makes sense to me. When we look at the paid video streaming space, I think there's a harsh reality that's unfolding. And this might make some people uncomfortable, I don't know. There isn't a sustainable business model for a standalone streaming service 
looking to compete in a content arms race. I know that goes against conventional wisdom, especially in Silicon Valley for the past few years. I get that. But this is something that I've been saying for a long time, and I continue to struggle seeing what the business model here is. We can turn again to Netflix. They are trying to make a go at being a standalone paid video streaming service while also significantly ramping up content spend. The Netflix business model also includes moving away from Apple's content distribution arm. That includes bypassing iTunes payment, not wanting much to do with the Apple TV app. That's part of the business model. I've been covering Netflix's quarterly earnings for a few years now, so I've seen the ups and downs. The company's most recent earnings report was a disaster. The numbers weren't pretty. They missed expectations. The company's reasoning for why results came in so low didn't make any sense. And again, this is a company that they really aren't that forthcoming with information as it is. Could results improve in subsequent quarters? Sure. What happens sometimes is bad quarters like this one bring down expectations. It makes it that much easier for the company to then beat those expectations. So instead of focusing just on those quarterly results, what I did was I looked at free cash flow. Annual basis, trailing 12 months. The numbers are over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article titled The Apple TV Plus Strategy. Over the last 12 months, Netflix's free cash flow is a negative $3.1 billion. Netflix is burning through billions of dollars each year, and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Now, Netflix management knows that people are focused on free cash flow, and they do have an answer for this. They will say that the negative free cash flow is a consequence of the company placing a huge bet on original content, which have higher costs up front. That is true. I'm not doubting that. And management does mention how free cash flow can improve going forward because they're going to get more paying subs. Again, okay. But they make no attempt at suggesting free cash flow will actually turn positive anytime soon. Instead, what they're doing is they're continuing to issue debt to fund what is ballooning content budgets. It's not sustainable. Something has to give. And so I think the big question facing Netflix is whether or not the company will be able to reduce its content spending and raise subscription pricing once it's achieved much of its user growth. If you think the answer is yes, well, then you probably think Netflix has a sustainable business model. You're just seeing the years of constant losses and eventually it will work out. I think there's reason to be skeptical here. Competition for engagement is going to be brutal. And I think that's the key metric to monitor with Netflix. It's engagement. If engagement plateaus or starts to decline, it's going to be that much more difficult for Netflix to raise pricing. It certainly doesn't help that most companies playing in the paid video space are looking for other ways to monetize users and the intellectual property behind paid video streaming bundles it's going to pressure Netflix's ability to raise pricing. Consider Disney. They have three viable and profitable ways to monetize the IP underpinning Disney+. Plus. You have movie tickets, theme parks, merchandise, Amazon. Prime Video is an add-on to a Prime subscription. 
NBC Universal is treating its upcoming ad-based video subscription service as another way to keep cable subs. Notice what's happening here. You have competition, and maybe this is because of fears of Netflix, but you have competition. They're not depending strictly on the paid video streaming to make a profit. They're using paid video streaming as a way of sort of lifting up other parts of the business. I think that gives them a little bit more leeway, gives them oxygen to continue running with low subsidized pricing. Netflix doesn't have that flexibility. They don't have that option over time. There comes a point when they're going to have to either raise pricing significantly or they're going to have to cut the content budget. And I think that begins to question the whole narrative around Netflix in the first place. Is this going to be a company that was going to replace the cable bundle? They're going to offer so much content that you don't have to sign up for all these various bundles. Everything will be found on Netflix. That was the narrative at least two years ago, maybe even in last year. It's changed, though. You had people going around saying it's just going to be Netflix. That's the only one. The same people are now saying, well, yeah, Disney, Disney Plus is going to be around, too. Yeah, they're going to find success. Oh, well, that, that, that's, a, that's a pretty significant change in narrative. The thing that I just can't get past is given how easy it is to switch from paid video bundle to paid video bundle throughout the year, churn has the potential of really impacting this industry. And I think Netflix's most recent earnings release demonstrated that. I think the churn effect is real. And we haven't even seen genuine competition in the paid video streaming space yet. All of this leads me to think it is time to start wondering if Netflix would benefit from integrating into the Apple TV app and once again supporting iTunes for payment. If you see that an increasing number of people are switching from bundle to bundle each month, isn't it in your best interest to make it as easy as possible for those people to once again sign up for your subscription, for your product? I think so. When we look at Disney's aggressiveness with Disney Plus, and also this bundle of Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN Plus, it's going to be $13 per month. Ooh, wow. It, it, it really changes the game. And I do see more and more people coming to that realization. We can also look at even NBC Universal, Warner Media. They are bringing the most valuable IP back home. I think what that means is that these companies are ready to wage war against the first mover, against Netflix. Meanwhile, you have Apple. Apple finds itself in a different situation as it both produces original video content and distributes third-party video bundles. So from Apple's perspective, competition in the paid video streaming space is a great thing. By having power move from one or two companies to a number of players, Apple's strategy to become the bundler of bundles stands to benefit. As for how Apple can set itself apart from maybe a company trying to do the same thing like Amazon, Apple has an ecosystem of billion users. 
1.5 billion devices. That kind of reach is going to matter if you're trying to become the largest distributor of third-party paid video content. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in this episode and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com and you want more of it throughout the week, I do publish exclusive daily updates about Apple. If it is of interest to Apple, it is something I pay attention to. Each daily update is about 2,000 words and typically covers three stories. I'll focus on everything from Apple business and strategy analysis to my Apple financial estimates, my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, and of course, full coverage of Apple earnings, product events, and keynotes. To give you a taste of some of the topics I talk about in the daily updates, the following stories were published since the last Above Avalon podcast was released. In one update, I went over my Apple Watch unit sales and revenue estimates. I also went over my install base estimate for Apple Watch. So that's the total number of Apple Watches that are out in the wild. I don't just provide the numbers or estimates. I actually go over how I derive the estimates. In another update, I went over my AirPod sales and install base figure. I also went over Roku earnings, Samsung's product event in New York City, which I think was underwhelming. I went over Apple Card. What do I think is the secret weapon there? Also, Apple's financial services play. There were a few updates worth talking about when it came to U.S.-China tariffs. That's a topic that I've been covering closely over the past few months. I also went over Peloton. They recently filed for an IPO, and there had been some talk that Peloton was an Apple acquisition target. So I went over my thoughts on that topic, and I also shared my HomePod sales and install base estimates. So you can see I talk about quite a wide range of topics in these daily updates. To have these updates delivered straight into your inbox throughout the week, all you have to do is become an Above Avalon member. So head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two membership options available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Once on the membership page, you can also see all of the privileges and benefits found with becoming an Above Avalon member. While the daily updates represent the cornerstone of membership, Members also have access to my earnings model at no additional costs. There's an archive, so you can read daily updates previously sent to members. I think the total now is up to around 825 or so, so there's quite a large archive. There's also a forum. You can chat with other Above Avalon members, and there are Above Avalon reports. These are four to 5,000 word examinations into Apple's business strategy. Each report is focused on one topic, and it's designed to have a long shelf life and to be used as reference in the future. These reports are available to members at no additional cost. So there's a lot attached to Above Avalon membership. If you have any questions, all of the answers and information is likely found in the membership page, or of course, you could always reach out to me via Twitter, or there is a contact form over at AboveAvalon.com. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So if you are considering becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. And for those of you who are already Above Avalon members, I appreciate the support. Thank you. 
with that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.